You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio, your source of off-road news and highlights. Hello, The Last Aid Station listeners. We are back with the second part of the latest episode. Mark, how are you? Very well, very well. Um, Yeah, didn't want the first one. I'm glad Ben came up with a good solution, (laughs) recording these in two parts so that um, everybody can get to the whatever they want to listen to or um, break it up into two manageable sections um, yeah. uh, to help your day pass, pass yeah. by. Yeah. yeah. So I, before we get uh, rolling, we're going to talk about uh, some NUE stuff, monster cross. Well, park state point to points in there. That's NUE um, talk about some overall things. No, but not, wanna, not NUE. Yeah. But I want to get a uh, quick behind the scenes for listeners. So we're recording this at uh 12:15 a.m. Eastern time. So Yay. Mark is up late and uh <laughs> beside, behind the scenes of uh recording podcasts is what's really cool is I can do this with you at well it's 11:15 my time but uh yeah. and then Kelly Apex Nutrition Kelly we record at like 6 in the morning. So between the two of you I could pretty much stay up all night and just record stuff. So There you go. There you go. There you go. So you have a little glimpse into what goes on. All right. NUE, <laughs> well, Monster Cross, and then we'll get into NUE yeah. stuff. So what's up? So um, earlier uh, in September, um, Pisgah Monster Cross happened. Um, now, Pisgah Monster Cross is uh, a longstanding race in Western North Carolina, put on by Eric Weber and the Pisgah Productions team. It's quite an event every year. Um, it's often included in several series. It's in, this year it's in the Appalachian Gravel Grinder series. It's also in the King of Pisgah series. Um, but it's, uh, it's quite the event. A lot of people come out to it. It's after the end of the road season. It's after the end of the mountain bike season, pretty much. Um, and what you end up with is a huge smattering of top elite riders from both sides of the spectrum, including many domestic pros showing up to race a course that is really hilly um, on some sometimes sketchy roads, as well as racing actually on the Blue Ridge Parkway, one of the few races that actually allows, um, that has the race actually being allowed to race on the Blue Ridge Parkway itself. Now this year it's a counterclockwise route and every year it changes that direction. Um, so nearly straight out of the start, um, I think the course ends up being right around 70 miles, but right, right out of the start, um, riders encountered a large five plus mile climb, um, from that group emerged a big leading pack of about 15 riders, but on the descent off that first climb and heading towards the crux climb of the race, a 20 mile climb that includes 10 miles of gravel, um, that is very eccentric as far as how it's graded and followed by 10 miles of graded Blue Ridge Parkway riding, it was down to just eight riders, including some of the expected names like Sam Korber, Thomas Turner, John Murphy, Tristan Cowie. But noticeably absent from that group was current Appalachian Gravel Grinder Series, Reed Bellani, as well as local strongman, Tay Little. Now, Bellani had flatted to drop a chain on the gravel descent, dropping from the group, but soon he was off, 
But with a three to four minute deficit to that front group, Bellani would eventually work his way back into the field, catching those that hadn't quite made that front selection, including women's leader Nina Lachlan, racing almost completely unchallenged this far up in the early race standings, as well as those getting gapped off that lead group. Now, Tay Little would make a big power move to regain the front group on the early portions of the big climb up Forest Road 5000 and a conservative pace for most of the climb from the front group as riders sized each other up and contemplated the difficulty of the remaining parts of the course. Um, as the riders exited the gravel and continued their climb on the Blue Ridge Parkway, the front group was now down to just Murphy, Little, Corber, Cowie, and Turner, with Bellani noted now in the distance bridging across to the group. With several kilometers left to climb, Bellani had finally made the bridge to the front group, totaling six now, with several riders taking the opportunity to surge and attack with no large gains made before the climb peaks out at over 5,000 feet. The total climbing, 18 miles, gaining 2,800 feet. The group was all together. Onto the descent, and soon the very powerful Tay Little was out in front alone, dropping off the top like a rock. But every mountain has a bottom, and soon the group behind had caught Little. Onto a very flat section of the course, which parallels the river nearly all the way back to the start-finish line, and the group was getting antsy first to attack was john murphy that went unsuccessful then one by Bellani, brought back by cowie who then immediately countered and gained some daylight currently the domestic pro powerhouse and two-time national pro criterium champion would recognize the damage and john murphy put in a powerful move to bridge across that left no one able to gain a free ride across the gap Back up front, the duo put in a little bit of work to secure the gap, and behind the front two, Korber and Bellani would work together, but still bleed time to that fast pair up front. Further back, fifth place, Thomas Turner would be on his own, chasing for all he had, but likely losing time as he was riding alone on the false flat. Into the final miles of the race, two short, steep climbs described by promoter Eric Weber as a good kick in the nuts and Tristan Cowie would put in a vicious attack to drop Murphy in the final miles to roll in with Murphy hot on his heels all the way to the line in just over four hours. John Murphy would finish just one second back at the line. It should be noted that Weber always places several cross barriers as a salute to the cross name. And those barriers would come into play as Corber and Bellani hit them side by side with Bellani taking more than a little bit of a fall in a video that has kind of gone a little bit viral in the off-road community for several days immediately following the event. Corber of Industry 9 would finish in third, just one minute down on the winner, Bellani, and on, on, on Bellani, who would finish fourth, and Thomas Turner of Jameis Off-Road Pro Cycling, holding off Tay Little for fifth. As a testament to the front group speed, over the rest of the field, it would be nearly 10 minutes before any other riders would hit the finish line. In the women's race, Nina Lachlan would remain in the front for the entire field, trying her best to bridge back up to that front group. But behind her, a hard-charging Jamie Bookwalter was closer than expected. Nina Lachlan would win the women's division in 419, with Bookwalter just three minutes back. Former NUE Series Women's Open champion Brenda Simmerl would take third to complete the women's podium. And so that's how the Pisgah Monster Cross race went. Um, it is a it is a 
it is kind of the perfect mix of everything. It's got some forest roads. It's got some gravel. It's got some eroded roads and it's got, you know, it's got a little bit of pavement. So it's kind of a good mix of everything and definitely some fast racing. I mean, some of those guys, I mean, there's three or four of them there that definitely make a living racing bikes, you know, including a couple pro road guys and um, a couple pro off-road guys and stuff. So it's kind of cool to see. Um, especially when you see those guys mixing it up and they didn't, they never race each other except for like these unique events where they happen to get together kind of in both each other's off season. Um, onto the park city point to point. This is definitely an iconic race. Uh, one of the most popular races in the Utah mountain region that in the past has been part of national endurance series, um, but now exists purely on its own merits. It's a bucket list race for sure, racing in a point-to-point format between two ski ro- uh, two ski resorts in the Wasatch Mountains outside of Park City, Utah. 75 miles, more than a little bit climby, with over 10,000 feet of elevation change, and 90% of the course on the forest trails and single-track mountain bike trails um, of that area. With the XC seasons now in the off-season, with some riders participating in a cross season the field was thick with pro talent including many world cup and domestic series mountain bike racers in the men's race it didn't take long for the powerful ben sontag to get this whole thing rolling with a series of hard efforts that had only keegan swenson and rob squire following now the trio would ride together through many of the early climbs put a ton of time into the back of the field and would remain friendly up front with even a little bit of conversation occurring. Soon, though, as the race approached the midway point on the Big Bear climb, Swanson attacked as the pitches steepened with Squire covering and dropping Sontag in the process. But soon Squire was able to keep Swanson in sight, and all three up front were now separated and riding their own races, separated by about 30 seconds or so. Through the remainder of the course, Swanson would have growing time gaps at the checkpoints, initially measured in seconds, that measured nearly five minutes with 10 miles to go. By the finish, Ride Biker Alliance Keegan Swenson would win six hours, 11 minutes and change, dropping over five minutes off the course record held by Alex Grant and taking home the $2,000 first place purse. Behind the winner, nothing but drama, as Squire would experience a serious mechanical that left him slow and into one of the aid stations and delayed as quick repairs were made. Sontag would roll through and quickly set to work, putting time into Squire, who was still in the aid station. Cliff Bar's Ben Sontag would make the most of his opponent's delay and take second, nearly 15 minutes back of first place, with third place going to Felt Rob Squire an additional six minutes back. In the women's race, uh, a group of four riders including perennial podium finishers Marley Dixon and former winner Gretchen Reeves were joined by Canadian XC racer Michaela Kaufman and cyclocross standout Sofia Gomez uh, Villafane. All of this happened on the very early choppy climbs that separated them from the rest of the pretenders. Soon after the first big climbs of the day, Kaufman and Reeves were seen climbing strongly and distancing themselves from the others probably a minute to a minute and a half back. But as the riders continued their progression through some very varied terrain, their specific technical abilities came to be shown with some riders riding much better on the sense, others through the very narrow single track and even others on the steep loose climbs. By the time they had finished the big bear climb, Reeves had established herself 
well out in front with now Marley Dixon pulling back Kaufman and moving off after the absolutely flying Reeves. At the line, it was Gretchen Reeves taking the point-to-point title again in a time of seven hours, 34 minutes, with Marley Dixon a distant second over 15 minutes back. Third place would go to Sofia Gomez-Villafane, who will who would have caught Kaufman near the final aid station to move ahead and onto the final step of the podium another 10 minutes further back. And so that's how the uh, Park City point-to-point race all went down. I was going to say that's uh, not too long after uh, for Ben Sontag. Uh, he yeah. He raced the uh, Brett Gapik and finished third there. Right, so yeah. And I, we actually talked after, about that. Ten days after, I think. Yeah, we actually talked about that because he not only did he race the Breck Epic, but he raced the day before the Breck Epic oh, was Leadville. <laughs> so he raced Leadville Saturday, and he and the Wells brothers and a couple other folks went straight into the Breck Epic, um, uh, which just hurts my legs to even think about. Yeah. Um, oh, so um, he finished that and then went Park City and did pretty well. Nice job. Indeed. Um on to the NUE. Now, with the last um, bit of the NUE, um, the one thing I wanted to mention is there's one NUE race that I can't really cover a whole really well, and I'm going to just tell you why. Um, so the Rincon Volcano 100, uh, which is the name of the Rincon race, um, I, I can't really cover it because much of the results in all the race reports are in Spanish. I don't read Spanish that well to be able to interpret all that stuff. Um, additionally, uh, the the race kind of exists in this weird, I don't know, it's kind of hard to interpret the results because here's the deal. In Costa Rica, those kind of races, races that um, in on their national calendar and in um, uh, that attract international riders are UCI races. They exist as completely different categories um, than the NUE. Now, for example, the UCI doesn't recognize single speed racing. Um, the UCI doesn't recognize 50 plus racing. And there potentially could be people that are unsanctioned risers racing in this race that aren't. Anyhow, it's it's a whole different weird gamut. Um, I can't say how. I don't think there were many changes into the standings as to how everything worked out in the end standings. And, you know, Gordon Wadsworth won the single speed. Um, uh, as far as the NUE goes, I do know there were other racers there from the NUE. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't affect anything as far as the standings go. I don't know how those races worked out. I don't know how, who even won the elite open men's racing despite how much i look for it and so i really don't have a whole ton of stuff um, on the rincon 100 that being said uh, we move on to racing that was held that very same weekend here in the united states and that would be at the shenandoah 100 now shenandoah 100 is presented by chris scott and his team of the uh, Shenandoah Mountain Touring Group. They've been putting this race on forever. It existed as a, as a race in the 90s, kind of went away. And Chris Scott brought it back in the late 90s, early 2000s, brought it back and has continued to improve on it every year. He's continued to improve on it so much so that he has actually purchased an old scout camp that is near the yeah, that is actually where the start finish line is. Um, and it becomes a whole weekend uh, gathering kind of uh 
secluded gathering of mountain bike racers. Um, probably one of the most popular weekends on the NUE circuit um, and definitely could exist um, outside of the series. It's, it's well, it's a very popular race and there you often find racers who go do this race regardless of the NUE or how they stand in the NUE. Um, it's very popular in the mid Atlantic and a lot of people end their season with it as it occurs every year, Labor's day weekend, always so um it's it's uh it's definitely one of the a lot of people actually look forward to this race um so in the race um is this where we get our dicky reference for the show a dicky reference yeah uh, you always get dicky in there somewhere so we had to get no i don't i don't have a dicky reference though i i know he was at shenandoah yeah i so know we, he we, we just did yeah so now I guess yeah we, did, we just got now we got our dicky reference <laughs> and we talk about how he doesn't wear sleeves right, right okay. um yeah um, so um, in the men's race, uh, five racers were away early on the opening climbs. They included the, a really strong local in the form of Christopher Michaels, current NUE challenger and contender and top rider, Dylan Johnson, Sam Korber, Keck Baker, the defending champion, and Cole Oberman on the very first climb. Um, notice Despite this being a race that he has won numerous times, I did not mention that Jeremiah Bishop was in that front group. And it would be because he had uh, actually had a injury sustained in training and had actually skipped out this race. Um, I think he, in the like literally the days before, had banged his knee, had some significant swelling, and decided to um, use a little caution and not race the Shenandoah 100. Despite, I think he's around nine wins at this race or so. Um, but anyhow, um, those were the top as they hit the famous Lynn climb. Lots of surges from Johnson and Christopher Michaels that were at time very vicious, had one rider um, who I'll keep anonymous for now within that group saying it was way too early for that stuff and was comparing it to, quote, unquote, a bit of a dick measuring contest. There goes my PG rating. Yeah, yeah no, you know, yeah. a lot of that stuff turns in. That's racing, though. You get a bunch of, especially among the guys, um, yeah. we're just dumb. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yep. Um, those early accelerations caught a few unaware um, that ended up being a bit behind of a train of riders who had onto the single track, had a bit of a bottleneck and limited passing opportunities. And those riders included Thomas Turner of James Pro Cycling and Christian Tangi, a two-time winner of the NUE series, who were in a group on the course trailing the leaders by over two minutes once they finally cleared the riders that had been put placed between their two groups. Keck Baker would flat on the exact same section of trail that left him out of the race last year, tearing a hole in his sidewall that forced his exit less than 90 minutes into the race and perhaps now searching for a new tire sponsor. Behind the front four, now that Baker was gone, Tangi was able to use Thomas Turner to help him get back close enough to the leaders before he was able to finally gap Turner and make the jump across the gap on his own. Turner would never make it across through aid number two and the five remain together. Now with the hostilities temporarily behind them and the big stuff on the course yet to come into aid number three and Tangi was putting in some big efforts, dropping Korber and Michaels in the process just prior to the aid station and led Oberman and Johnson into aid number three. And then to the shock of those two, skipped the aid station altogether and went to work with a very risky move. 
Soon Johnson was in pursuit out of A3 without Oberman, who was re- still refilling bottles. It wouldn't be long before Johnson had brought the two-time series champion back, and the front two worked together with the knowledge that the death climb, an eight-mile stretch of gravel road, lay just ahead. Onto the death climb, and Johnson would move to the front to force the pace with Tangi following. Johnson would attack near the top of the death climb, then be reeled in by Tangi on the ridgeline. Tangi would then attack onto the ro- final rolling miles to finally gap off Johnson. He would never relax into the final kilometers, knowing Johnson was just behind. But at the finish at the Stokesville Lodge, Christian Tangi of RBS Cycling wins the 2016 Shenandoah 100 in a time of 7 hours, 50 seconds. With giant co-factory rider Dylan Johnson in second, just a minute and a half back. In third, Cole Oberman would ride the entire remainder of the race after a number three, nearly 40 miles, never seeing another racer on the course. Cole Oberman of Ride Biker Alliance in his first 100-mile race takes third. In the women's race, it was every woman for themselves, especially from all the different people that I talked to. I tried to find some racing, but... Everyone I talked to, including NUE race, NUE leader Carla Williams, who said she literally saw no women on the course after the start and raced her own race through the final checks before she realized she was in second. Angela Dvorak win in eight hours, 27 minutes. Carla Williams of Joe's Bike Shop in second in 831, just four minutes back. And third to Laura Hamm of Team Moon Stompers in 903. In the single speed race, It was John Haddock of J.A. King MTB Racing Team who gets his first NUE category race win, winning in a time of 8.13 and change. Completely stellar ride that we here at the Last State Station are most impressed with. We have watched him kind of improve over the past 12 months, and now seeing him finally make a place at the top of the standings of a national series shows that those incremental improvements that we kind of saw over the past 12 months were eventually going to lead to something big. John told me that the secret to his success on the day was a relatively conservative mindset and utilizing experienced riders he knew around him for pace setting and strategies for riding the course strongly. In second place, 33 minutes back was Colin Snyder of OAM Now, and third place to Knox Composite Scott Rusinko, who had a bit of bad luck on his side as he was caught with a mechanical and despite a valiant chase in the final miles, ran out of trail and would finish an additional three minutes back. In the Masters 50 plus, early on, Carl Regler was the first to make a move, moving off on an early climb and gaining a gap. Behind him, Roger Massey and Jeff Clayton would be riding in a large group that would collectively come together as they hit a road section where the advantages of a pace line would quickly bring Regler back to the other front Masters racers. Together, they would ride together, Regler, Massey, and Clayton. But soon, Massey was out of the saddle and climbing strongly on an early climb called the Lynn Climb, dropping both Clayton and Regler. But by the top, Clayton, in pursuit of Massey, had dropped Regler, then moved in front of Massey. Clayton would leave his racing competitors behind to win well in front in a time of 8 hours and 10 minutes, with Roger Massey of RDC, or Rare Disease Cycling, in second, eight hours, 39 minutes, and Carl Regler of Verge Sport in third in eight hours, 44 minutes. And so that left um, going into the last race of the year, uh, the Fool's Gold, where many um, many categories were still wide open. Now, the way the NUE series works 
is that you can um, the most it takes your best four results. However, if there is a tie, the last result at fool's gold is the tiebreaker. Now, coming into the race, there were some categories that had racers with four and uh, going against rider racers with three. But that meant that if the person was able to win that last race at fool's gold, they would tie. And with that being a tiebreaker, that would be the result. So fool's gold is traditionally, at least for the last four or five years, the final race race of the NUE series. This year had a big course change, 90-mile course, and it's a new course that would start from the Anderson Creek uh, Retreat Campground, which is brand new, and the race virtually takes it over, reminiscent of the way Mohican 100 does it or some other races as we've talked about in the past that have done it. Um, the course would be a lollipop configuration with a large four-mile climb on Nimblewill Gap on the outbound leg to the loop that would include the Jake Mountain Trail system, including that iconic climb up Bull Mountain. That loop would be identical to the course in years past, um, though the, the route to the loop would be a different approach from a different direction. That loop would be completed once for the marathon uh, distance riders and twice for the NUE century distance riders. Now, traveling before traveling back to that same gravel and forest road, but approaching the nimble gap from the opposite direction, it's got about 11,000 feet of climbing for that 90 mile course. Many riders approve of this new course design, which negates a huge grinder of a climb that literally takes many over an hour to do. Um, it's, it's much more pleasant on this end. It keeps the racing strong and fast, um, and it keeps that boring climb out of the loop altogether. Um, that allows this this climb, which is only about three and a half miles, still gains the elevation, but doesn't have that much of a grinding um, sensation to it. A lot of uh, just repetitive riding. Um, so this this actually brought um, a much more pleasant atmosphere to the race and a lot more, a lot better racing, um, according to many who are in the uh, tops of their field. Um, in the men's race, a very fast start with Nathaniel Cornelius of uh, Brian Schwarm's team at the front, absolutely killing it. Completely shattered the group near the base of the big climb and had everyone on notice that Think Green, which is Brian Schwarm's team, was working together in to try to get Schwarm, who is in contention for the overall, into a place where he could do something about it. Now, Brian Schwarm comes into the race um, one race behind Dylan Johnson, but with the ability to actually, if he wins the race, actually do what I'd said earlier, which is actually win the series. Now, as this was in the opening miles on the way out to the loop over the hill that riders would then have to conquer in the final miles in the opposite direction, 80 miles long, 80 miles later, some riders quickly dropped off that pace. By the top of the climb, it was down to just five at the front as Schwarm's teammate Cornelius peeled off after utterly decimating the field behind and setting off the day's contenders on their own to set the pace up front. I heard from numerous riders at the race and from within the race that Brian Schwarm, who came into the race with a legitimate shot at taking the overall by simply winning the event, had approached the race very differently than he has in other races. From my perspective, Brian Schwarm has always been a bit conservative in his approach to 100-mile races. This was He's an amazingly strong rider, and that's not to say that he um, 
he does it conservatively because of that. He, I think he has the, the approach in the way he um, presents at these national ultra endurance series to let others do the pace setting and save himself for later racing in the event. This race, completely different. Just in the opening miles and the way the loop lays out, Brian Schwarm was often at the front, helping his teammate just shatter the group. Um, so when these guys finally got to the top, lots of reasons this may be the case um, that Brian would do it a little bit differently. But I think he was looking for a different way to take it to Johnson, who had pretty much always ended up on top in many of their head-to-head meetings so far. He aggressively sent that teammate to the front in the form of Nathaniel Cornelius, and they indeed did exactly what they needed to do, brought it down to five with just 15 miles into the race. And that five was Schwarm, Wadsworth, Johnson, Golas, and Stuart Gross. With Heath Thamel and Nick Bragg within a stone's throw of that front group, he would then uh, bring them on, um, stay on the front with Schwarm there um, to attack with surges and tempo changes to create gaps as the riders approach the single track and then into the single track loops that were praised by many as some of the best single track trails in the NUE series. Soon the surges were occurring in the opening 20 miles by none other than Schwarm, and when the gap appeared to stick, Johnson was quick to jump across the gap. And by mile 20, just two hours into this race, the twosome of Schwarm and Johnson, who had been battling for the very top of the NUE standings, were alone. The battle in the second half of the season reminded many of that Schalk-Tangi battles in the NUE series from 2009 to 2010, 2011. This move made the race and series very neat as the first one of these two elite athletes to cross the line would be named the Fool's Gold winner, but also the NUE series champion in the men's open category. That front duo would push the pace, staying out of sight and likely eventually out of mind as they traded spots to front, staying within seconds of each other on the twisty Jake Mountain loop. Back off the loop and after their two laps, and they were heading back that long climb, though much shorter in this direction on the return to the start-finish line at the Anderson Creek Retreat Campground. Tempo increased in the early grade stages as the riders sized each other up, but soon Johnson was the first to make a definitive move, accelerating into the midpoint of the climb where the slope steepened and likely favored the slighter-built Johnson, even by cyclist standards, giant co-factory rider. He would eventually check behind him as he crested and saw nothing but clear road, and hopefully he was hold it, hoping to hold off the very powerful Schwarm, who would likely use the downhill and rolling gravel in the final miles to his advantage. At the line, Dylan Johnson wins the Fool's Gold 100. Think Green's VO2 multi-sport rider Brian Schwarm would finish in second, just six minutes back, and third would go to Thomas Golas, who had ridden away from the other chasers on the second loop of the course that had many in the top seven riding within minutes of each other, but definitely riding their own race in their own battle against the very hilly, often mountainous course, finishing an additional 11 minutes down. Fourth place to Heath Thamel and fifth to Stuart Gross. In the women's race, it was separation from the gun as the front women all settled into their own race, their own pace, and uh, Joe's Bike Shop, Carla Williams, the current NUE women's leader, was away. She would fly through the course with nary an issue, throwing down times on the climbs that would make anybody envious, and descending with a much improved technique that now proves she has become a very complete and fast racer, 
destined for things even bigger than the NUE potentially in the future. Her time would have her at the finish line in 10th place overall and winning the women's category in seven hours, 42 minutes with second place, uh, Simona Vincenziova of Hammer Nutrition, 70 minutes further back and DNA movements and Pike another 40 minutes back beyond that. In the single speed race, as would it be expected and previously mentioned, Gordon Wadsworth took advantage of the early climb to distance himself from the single speed field and staying in the front group as the speed up the climb increased. By the top, with nearly a three-minute advantage, he was away, or so he thought. Descending off the back and down one of the more innocent sections of the course, Wadsworth would suddenly find himself face down in the dirt with no recollection of how he got there. Picking up with the leaders now gone, he would soft pedal to the next aid station with bumps and bruises and a very quickly swelling knee to pull the plug on the race. His day now done. That would leave the top single speed step now wide open. And with perennial single speed contenders in the field, including John Haddock off of his recent Shenandoah 100 win and Pisgah local Scott Rosinko in the mix, it was anyone's guess how it would eventually shake out. Haddock would be the first into all the early aid stations with Rosinko close behind. But as the final aid stations and checkpoints on the course started to roll by, Rosinko had begun to fade somewhat and would lose time over the final pass of Bull Mountain and the Nimble Will Gap climbs to lose any hope with the exception of mechanical to Haddock um, that would eventually give him two wins in the NUE series in a row. At the line, it was John Haddock of J.A. King Mountain Bike Racing Team winning the Fool's Gold 90 in a time of 725. Second place would go to Knox Composite Scott Rosinko in just over eight hours with John Strohs of Strohs Physical Therapy another 15 minutes back. In the Masters race, Jeff Clayton was the expected favorite, especially with the knowledge that challenger Greg Gallette of Chico, California would potentially be racing injured or not racing at all after a head-on collision with a vehicle at the Rincon 100. But come race morning, on the line, all the top Masters racers seem to be there, including last year's series champion Roger Massey, Jeff Clayton, and Greg Gallette. As the riders hit the first climb of the day on Nimblewill Gap, early leaders Massey and Clayton were soon passed by Gallette, moving strongly through the field after conservative pace at the start. It wasn't long before Clayton had realized the growing time gap and moved off from Massey just after the descent off the eroded forest road and Clayton was on the wheel of Galette and the two rode together were exactly in the same uh, one, two in the series were exactly that way on the trail separated by less than a second through many of the early checkpoints. Clayton who would guess that he has a fair knowledge of these trails as they are nearly in his backyard and likely a favorite training ground soon had used some of that knowledge to get a gap on the rolling trail system of the Jake Mountain uh, trail loop. And Golette would admit to me that the soreness in his back and ribs left him a little bit tentative on the descents and rougher sections of the course that may have added to the growing gap he found himself behind Clayton. Back onto the final climb and the run into the finish, and both riders were climbing strongly, separated by just minutes. And in the end, it would be 
Georgia Neurosurgicals, Jeff Clayton, the current U.S. Cycling Marathon Nationals 50-plus champion with a win in a, in a time of 7 hours, 29 minutes, with Team Chico Greg Gallet just 7 minutes back. Roger Massey of Rare Disease Cycling would also keep it close, remarkably close, despite not knowing that his competition was just in front of him to finish just an additional 8 minutes back. And so that's how it all finished up at Fool's Gold, the final race of the 2016 NUE Series. End of the year. Yay. Sheesh. End of the year. I know. feels like we just started this. I know. Doesn't it? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the final, um, that brought up the final standings of the NUE Century Series, or what most people, when they talk about the NUE Series, consider um, the series championship. Um, and so the winner of the women's division was the Dirt Doctor herself, Carla Williams, Joe's Bike Shop. Um, the single speed winner, again, repeating now for the third year, uh, Gordon Wadsworth of Blue Ridge Cyclery. Uh, Jeff Clayton of Georgia Neurosurgical wins the Masters 50 plus. And Dylan Johnson of the Giant Co Factory team wins the Men's Open. Um, and going back to February. Here's your time to brag. I know. I can't believe it. But. Honestly, there there was some luck involved in this, um, but yep, hundred percent. I I couldn't do it again. Um, then I probably won't even try. Yeah, um, you're gonna. I'll make you predict that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, some of those, some of the I I had a strong feeling. I mean, Carla Williams um, had a strong feeling. I I hadn't seen anybody even get close to Gordon in several races or several years. Um, those were easy. Um, Jeff Clayton was new to the title, and so was Dylan Johnson. So those were a little bit more difficult to predict. Um, but I, on social media, had seen Dylan Johnson and the miles he was putting in the offseason. I had a strong feeling. So interesting racing this year, that's for sure. Oh, that's um, cool. Nice job on the doing all that. That's predicting that and kind of knowing what's going on. It's, it's yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, I've I, I got to say that I, I – as much as I have complained about several things in the NUE, I, I'm not running it. Um, and they have a very successful series going on. Um, I think it's still the best series out there as far as a full national series. Um, you know, yeah, you could make it more geographically equal and put some more out West or more in the Midwest or whatever. Um, but for what they have to work with, I think it's a really, really, really good series, you know, I think it's it's the best out there, especially at the hundred mile distance. I mean, I think there's going to be some challengers and things as other series grow in that marathon distance, but yeah, it's cool racing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's clearly. I mean, people are doing it and people like it, so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you everybody for um, listening in uh, to the the last aid station as we've been following along um, the whole season this year. Sorry, probably still have a one or two before the, really the end of the year before I start carrying, covering the fat bike endurance racing season. Um, but uh, it's been a pleasure. I love, I love going to these races. I love talking to the racers about it. And thank you to everybody who, when I call them and bug them about how a race played out, that they give me the information we need to, keep this informative um it's the only way i can get that information it's the only thing that sets me apart from other media uh be that you know print or pseudo print on the internet or um you know even what tom does and tom 
does something completely different than why I do, but we cover a lot of the same events. But um, I thank you very much for giving me all the insider perspectives of how these race played out. Cause it's the only way it makes this, these uh, come out the way they do. So, yeah. And we continue to get more and more emails and uh, is in terms of just, Hey, like this is the show I listened to and the list, like whatever. And then say, Oh yeah, I listened to that last, last aid station too a couple of times. Um, yeah. Cause you know, if they automatically, if they do one of the races, they're going to listen. Right. <laughs> Cause right. They automatically yeah. they're like, Oh, I'm going to check out what they, what they say about it. So, right. Uh, so, and we- you know, the one thing that, the one thing that people have brought up and, and you, you even uh, noticed this because you did that special, um, that one special episode where you put, you combined, uh, the Mohican, um, past reports oh, with yeah. the, the, you know what I mean? But a lot of people are actually, I've seen that they're actually going back to, then they mentioned that they're doing this, they're going back and listening to the last aid station in years previously before they do a specific race to find out what the course is like, how much climbing is there? What kind of trails is it on? What kind of, you know, how much gravel is there? And we try to mention that. I try to describe what those courses are like. Um, and it's, I'm glad people are finding it useful um, as a resource like that too. So, yeah, I would say, um, Race directors, uh, instead of spending your time elsewhere, uh, it, it's helped other races in the past, and I can forward you to other ones that has helped. But uh, to get on here and just talk about your race and fill people in about those details, so we can do a special separate episodes where I, either one of us, but I, I could interview you, have you on, talk about the race beforehand, then we cover it afterward. But it gives you a quick opportunity, whether it's thirty minutes or twenty minutes or forty-five, to talk about all those things. So terrain, climbing, like all the details, because listeners are going back and listening to that. One that comes to mind is, uh, Oh man, it just slipped my mind. Uh, the first one, true grid epic. Yes. Um, they go back and listen to Cimarron talk about, uh, that amazingly, that was like literally the first full episode of the last aid station. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Going they, back that far. But, yeah, people go right. back to that. Steve was talking about how he would go back to, which one was it? Uh, the Mohican. He was listening to the Mohican right. one to get, that's where he was kind of yeah. finding some information there. And uh, just had Todd comment, uh, the director for the Margie Gessick, that uh, had, being on last year was a big, big plus for him to get things rolling yeah. for the second year. So. Yeah. There's a lot of listeners and uh, it's really good. I, I'm just getting that plug in there because race directors, yeah. like it's really easy on your end and it uh, it's a good way to get the word out. I'm a race director myself, so I will be plugging my own stuff once fat bike, uh, fat bike stuff is coming here. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's really cool because not only do you get the plug for this year's race, but that stuff exists as long as mountain bike radio uh-huh. exists. And so you can go back. I mean, they're, you know, I've been doing this show. This is finishing up my third year. So, I mean, there's three years and some of these races I've, I've talked about for three years in a row. And so having the ability to go back and especially if you're included in it in a, in a conversation as a race director um, or, you know, someone from that race, you know, from that race management group talking about those races, man, it, I, to me, it just seems like it would be invaluable. Um it, it exists. Um, it's a, it's a great, um, promotional tool as well as an informational one, um, for the racers that, you know, are already coming back anyhow. So, mm-hmm. yep. 
so it's it's fun. It's been uh it's been a long time actually. We've been doing this. I I'm kind of, I'm you know listeners if you're listening to this and you listen to the first part uh of this episode uh I'll be here for a while being co-host and uh it's cool because you've been doing this a long time and I've I've only kind of stepped in here and now you know every whatever a couple times pretty much. And, yeah. Uh, it's cool to be able to be not that I want to have a voice on every show on mountain bike radio. That's not my goal. Um, my goal is actually to be completely the opposite of that and like non-existent at some point, you know? Um, but it's cool to be able to do this because I don't, I mean, between you and I, like knowing all the races and knowing people and knowing what's going on. I mean, you know, a ton, but it's fun to do this. And cause I, I pay attention to a lot of what's going on. So it's good to, kind of talk right yeah yeah i mean and it i i just love talking about this stuff you know i mean and we talk i think I mean, people get that you've talked to, yeah. well i know that i know that, but i mean i mean yeah, i've heard you talk about um you know with steve on um on the dad show you know like talking about like oh he just he he's got all the trivia and stuff i don't know why i remember that stuff but i do yeah no you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know i but i do yeah. i don't know no it's you know? fantastic so cool all right, so that'll do it for this episode, listeners. Uh, if you have any questions, you can send them to me. It's ben at mountainbikeradio.com or to Mark. It's mark at mountainbikeradio.com. You can follow The Last Aid Station on Facebook and Twitter, and you can always follow Mountain Bike Radio on Facebook as well. So that's it. And one last thing, if you did enjoy this episode or any of the episodes or anything on Mountain Bike Radio, go to mountainbikeradio.com slash support mbr and you can help us out so that's it and thank you for listening mark thanks for the time no problem man all right i'll see you in the next one all right sounds good